Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Turn to chapter 5, if I haven't already said that. 1 Thessalonians 5. I find myself referring to this chapter quite frequently when we, when we experience hope and healing services, when we have any kind of moving of God's spirit that is deep and impressionable. Anytime... Anytime the Spirit of God is really moving in a powerful way in our church, I find myself coming back to this passage a lot. And the reason is because I believe that Paul outlines in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians a, a foolproof way to sustain revival. It's a foolproof way to sustain revival. I remember the first time I really discovered this chapter was in Florida years and years ago. I had just started preaching. Uh, I wasn't even like really in the ministry yet. I was just, my, my parents were pastoring a church and uh, they, my dad would let me preach from time to time. You know, he said, okay, you got to start to figure this out. So he'd let me preach. And, and, uh, and I remember stumbling one day across this chapter in 1 Thessalonians 5 and I built a message around it. And, and um, the message was titled, How Do I Respond to a Move of God? How do I respond to a move of God? And I believe that this chapter gives us a foolproof way of responding when God's Spirit is moving in a church, in a community, when revival is breaking out. How many of you know, God doesn't, when God doesn't like how things are going in a community or in a nation, he doesn't send a judgment he sends revival. Amen? I want you to think about that for just a second. People, you know, people ask, I've heard people ask the question, well, do you think COVID is God's judgment on America? No. No. God doesn't have judgment for America. Amen. When God doesn't like the way that things are going in a community or in a nation, he doesn't send a plague. He sends revival. He sends a man or a woman or men and women filled with the Holy Ghost and with power. When Samaria needed a touch from heaven, he sent Philip down to Samaria. You can go read about it in Acts chapter 8. Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the whole city got filled with God. And the Bible says there was great joy in the city. When's the last time somebody went to a city preaching Jesus and the whole city said, Oh my gosh, this is wonderful. Amen. You see, when, when, when a place becomes really godless, God doesn't judge it. He sends revival. Yeah. And we're, we're one of these kind of crazy churches that actually kind of wants that. Like, hey, uh, can we have more of that, Lord? We love your presence. And that was really wonderful when you showed up and healed us all. Could you do that again? Yeah. And this time we're going to bring our unsaved friends and we're going to let them get a taste. Yeah. Amen. Come on. Are you all awake in here this morning? Hallelujah. So the question becomes, how do we sustain it when God's spirit is moving? How do we keep our own hearts in a posture where we can receive perpetually from God? I don't want to see revival happen in our church and then burn out like a light bulb. Amen? I want to be one of those LEDs kind of light bulbs that's good for like 40 years, you know? I don't want revival to die out with a generation. I want it to perpetuate. 
Amen. You know, there's so many things happening in our nation and in our world right now that feel troublesome. How many of you turn on the news and it makes you troubled? Nobody. Good. None of you watch the news. Congratulations. God bless you. That's awesome, actually. That's really, really good. I don't watch the news, and I haven't for a number of years, um, but we were down two weeks ago after, after Easter. We went down, as our custom is, we go down to the beach, and we were there with my mother-in-law, uh, who is a wonderful, wonderful lady, and she likes to watch the news. She, it's kind of her habit of watching the news every night. So we were in the condo, and she wanted to watch the news every night, so we watched the news. And I'm going to be honest with you, I hated every second of it. 100% of it was trash. Amen. And, and, it, and it's not because I don't love people or differing opinions or points of view. It was, so, it was such a... Oh, can I have my soapbox for just a second? Can I just soapbox with you all for me? We're family, right? We're family, okay? I, I hated every second of it. And I'll tell you why. Because it was such a drama. It was so dramatic when the thing, you know, dun, 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 you know, the news is tonight on blah, 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 you know? And, and I'm telling you, I was watching the people talking, and I thought, these guys aren't journalists. They're actors. And this is a script. This is a drama. And they're acting. Because I could look at it, and I'm going, man, this is such false concern. These people, it was total fear. Total fear. 100% of the broadcast, it was like, in tonight's top stories, this bad thing happening, this terrible thing, COVID's on the rise, COVID's on the decline, uh, this thing's happening, the vaccines are this, the vaccines are that, uh, we got to do this, we got to do that, this terrible thing happened, this person was shot, all these terrible, the big fire in this city, and blah, 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 10,000 people died, and blah, 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 and also, the heartwarming story of a pony who gets a chance to walk for the first time, and then, you know, they put this little thing at the very end to keep you coming back tomorrow. And here's the thing, I'm not, I have no preference of networks, I can't stand them all. Line them up, man, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, you just name them, all of them are trash, as far as I'm concerned. Why? Because they paint a picture of fear. This isn't my message this morning, but I hope that it helps you or resonates with you or ticks you off, I don't care. If somebody's watching, you're offended, just stay tuned, there'll be more where that came from, amen? <laughs> it's early, Hallelujah. We got lots of time. No, we, listen, we love you. We're, I'm not trying to be irritating by any means. But there's a lot going on in our world that causes trouble, is my point. There's a lot in our world that causes trouble. And Jesus told us that that would happen. And he said, when that happens, do this. Be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have persecution, things are going to arise that startle you and make you feel uncomfortable. When that happens, be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Our faith and our trust and our confidence can never be in the system that's built around us, but has to only be in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Boy, this has nothing to do with 1 Thessalonians 5. Well, actually, it totally does. It totally, totally does, because here's why. The verses that I want to read are down by verse 15, 16. But if you start at the beginning of the chapter, what Paul is talking about at the beginning of chapter 5 is the coming of the Lord. 
and the return of God, the return of Jesus to the earth. How many of you know Jesus is coming again? Amen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He sure enough is. He's coming again. And you know what? I believe he's coming soon. I hope that I see it in my lifetime. I really do. I anticipate that I'll get to see the return of the Lord while I'm alive. Amen. And so these things that are swirling and happening in our culture, none of it took God by surprise. You know, God wasn't surprised by COVID. He wasn't rocked by that. He wasn't like, oh, no, didn't see that coming. Gabriel, get in here. Michael, get the, get the 12 apostles. We need to have a board meeting. We need to, we need to form a response. <laughs> Let's get the team in here and, and uh, formulate a statement. No, none of, the, none of heaven was surprised by anything that we face in our life. Not because God doesn't care, but because he just saw it coming. And he gave us some ammunition in his word on how to deal with crazy things when they happen. And the answer to the chaos of this world is the presence of God and the word of God and the revival that our hearts are hungry for. That, that presence of the Lord that you sense when we're worshiping, that's the answer for the hurt of humanity. Amen. Because the Bible says, in, we quoted it about 20 times already today, Psalm 16, in his presence is fullness of joy. Not halfness of joy, fullness, all of it. The best joy you could ever have is in the presence of the Lord. Better than any sporting event, better than any, you know, I, I often think back to the days that my children, my three girls were born. I remember each of those days very specifically because they were days that were filled with joy. We got to welcome new children into our family. It was awesome. And it, but as great as those days were, those days can't compare to the joy that's felt and sensed in the presence of God. Amen? So it actually, in a roundabout way, really touches and, and ties into what I wanted to share with you today uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul's talking about the times and the seasons and the, the return of Christ and the coming of the Lord and how powerful that day is going to be. Let's, let's actually read. I want to just read you a couple of these verses from the beginning of the chapter. For when they say peace, oh, excuse me, uh, verse 2, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. When they say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, everybody say, but us. But us, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us not be asleep. I think one of the things that COVID taught the church is that we can't afford to be asleep and overly comfortable and, uh, and, and just doing our thing our way for us. How many of you know God's got a plan to reach the nations and to reach our communities and to touch cities? You know, you know how many people in this county don't even know Jesus? How many people in this county are burned out on church and have had terrible experiences? How many people in this county are locked up by drugs? Come on. We get real comfortable in our... Are, is this okay? I'm just kind of spitballing here. We get real comfortable in our in our kind of 
comfort of our own lives. We get into our own routines and we forget that there's a hurting world out there. If there's one thing that COVID taught me is that I can't afford to be in my bubble anymore. That there's people in this community. I don't even have to go overseas to find the poor and the destitute and the hurting and the broken. There are people this second, this instant, tucked away in some burned out trailer that's getting ready to take meth again for the 10th time this week. And they just, they're bound by it and they can't. They can't get away from their addiction. There's somebody getting ready to snort coke or shoot up some heroin, and they're so bound by it, they hate it. They don't want to do it, but they know that the only way I'm going to keep going is to keep taking this substance. There's people who are absolutely bound by pills, by, by drug addiction, by alcohol addiction. There's people bound in sexual sin. There's people in our community absolutely poor and destitute because their grandmother was poor. Their great-grandmother was poor. Their father and mother are poor. They got no way out of the situation they're in, and we have the answer all the time. Every single day, we're sitting on the answer. And if there's one thing COVID taught me, it's that I can't sit on the answer anymore. I don't have time to just be comfortable. Listen, if what Paul is saying in in chapter five here about Jesus coming back soon, if that's at all true, the time is short and I got a job to do. And so do you. Amen. I'm telling you what, I was just with Angela and I were talking before the service started this morning. I have been so fired up about evangelism lately. What's evangelism? It's you and me telling everybody about Jesus every day. It's like, hey, yeah, the, your coffee will be $3.95. Okay, here's my money. Hey, you know what? I want to just let you know Jesus cares about you so much. He loves you. He's intimately acquainted with your situation. And God wants you to know that he cares about you today. Thank you. That coffee looks delicious. I'll see you tomorrow. Or it's something so simple as, hey, you know, how about that uh, ball game yesterday? Did you see the score? And yeah, it was awesome. Hey, can I pray with you real quick? Please don't say no. Just can I pray with you just for 10 seconds? God bless this person. Thank you that you're moving in their life today. Thank you that you're working all things out for their good today. Father, I pray your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have fun at your desk. I'll see you at lunchtime. What if, what if we embrace this idea that the world around us is actually going to hell in a handbasket and we can do something about it? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Oh, boy, I didn't intend to say all this this morning, but it's okay. <laughs> Amen. It's pretty good anyways. Hallelujah. You know, guys, we have the answer. And the return of Jesus is near. It's so funny to me. I've, I was kind of making some mental notes this week. Uh, as I, when I prepare for a hope and healing service, I like to do two things. I like to fast, I like to pray, and I like to go back and listen to sermons and things that have made an impact in my life. I like to go back and, you know, thank God for YouTube that you can actually find sermons on your favorite preachers from the 1960s, you know, I mean, it's all on there. So I was listening to a number of different people this week, but I heard some amazing testimonies listening to a particular evangelist. And um, it's just so interesting to me as we, as I was listening, I was making some certain mental notes, and this was one profound thing that stuck out to me. People who preach about the return of Jesus oftentimes are the same people who are believing God for signs and wonders and miracles. It seems like those things go together all the time. 
You're preaching on the return of Christ, and all of a sudden, the miraculous starts to happen. People's lives start being impacted, like cancer starts disappearing from people's bodies. And it's like, wow, I don't even know how to explain that. I just see this link between the return of Jesus and signs and wonders and miracles. It's amazing. And it's so funny to me that this is kind of the context of 1 Thessalonians 5, that Paul actually ties those two things together for us as well. But I heard a really cool testimony, and I, I want to share that, and then we'll go back and read a few more verses, and we'll be done. I don't want to go too long today. but um, So there was a gentleman, an evangelist by the name of Tommy Hicks. Have you ever heard of Tommy Hicks before? Y'all know who he is? Brian knows who Tommy Hicks is. Tommy Hicks was a, was a firebrand evangelist in the uh, like 1950s, 1960s, went down to Argentina. God called him to go to Argentina. And he led, he, one person changed an entire nation. If you go to Argentina today, there will still be, I mean, they teach, I'm told that they teach it in history class. They teach it in school, the time when God visited the nation of Argentina because of one obedient person named Tommy Hicks. So he was doing this amazing thing in, in Argentina. Uh, there, there, you can go and just like look it up online and see there's like, they would have fill stadiums with people, like Billy Graham style, wide open, 50,000 people come and hear the gospel. And they would pile up the wheelchairs and pile up the, the, the crutches and the canes and all the, all the issues that people had. They would just come and get set free. they get touched by God. And so all of this is going on, and it's attracting international attention. And so... Uh, the, the, one of the ambassadors to Russia invites Tommy Hicks to come over to, back then it was the Soviet Union, and it was that collection of countries. And so he gets invited to the Soviet Union, goes to Russia, and he does, they, you know, they put on this big crusade similar to what happened in Argentina, except for the fact that Russia at that time was under full-on communism. And all the people had been completely and fully indoctrinated. You know, God doesn't exist. This was back in the day when they used to have people come, make lines, and they would come and spit. The children in school would come spit on the Bible. This, I mean, you're talking about some hardcore godlessness in communism back then. And so this was happening, and this is the environment that Tommy Hicks is doing this meeting in. And so he comes, comes to the nation, and, the, and they're doing this big, giant crusade, and the whole country has been indoctrinated with communism. God doesn't exist. The Holy Spirit doesn't exist. The Bible is a book of lies. Communism is the way. Government is the thing, blah, blah, blah. And they, they preach this message. So Tommy's there in this big auditorium with all these people, and he's preaching, and of course, he doesn't speak Russian, right? Doesn't speak Russian at all. So he's got a woman there that is translating for him into Russian. And what he doesn't realize, he's, he's doing like what a lot of preachers do, which is he's, he's just preaching and gauging the audience and gauging how things are going while he's preaching. I wish I could give you a picture of what happens in my head when I'm preaching because there's like 40 different conversations happening inside of my head at one given time. And that was happening to Tommy. He's up there preaching and he's going, boy, it's kind of flat. People don't seem to be really getting it, you know. It doesn't seem to be exciting anybody or anything like that. And he's preaching, Jesus is the way. Jesus loves you. God cares about you. You can be set free. You can be delivered. You can be healed. All this amazing stuff. And it's just like, you know, crickets. And what he didn't realize at the time 
was that his translator, every time he was saying something, she was mistranslating it out of fear. Every time he would say God is great, she would say communism is great. Every time he would say Jesus loves you, she would say Jesus doesn't love you. Communism rules. And she was totally turning everything. And so he didn't know what else to do. Okay, now I'm about to tell you this story. It actually happened. It's really true. This is a miracle. This is how miracles work. He didn't know what else to do, but he's full of boldness and full of the Holy Spirit. So he just stops and starts praying in tongues. It was awesome. Just starts praying in tongues. He's, he's about two minutes into praying in tongues, and the lady translator drops the microphone, starts crying, and runs out of the room. And he's like, well, that was weird. Don't know what to do, so I'm going to keep going in tongues. I can't preach in Russian. This wasn't seem to do anything, but people start to seem respondent, so he keeps going on in other tongues. This is awesome. Super weird. Super awesome. Amen. He preaches, for, carries on in tongues for I don't know how long. All of a sudden, simultaneously, the whole room starts to lift their hands and starts to sing and worship. And he's like, what in the world? He stops in the middle of that, runs off the stage, and goes out into the hallway, and there's this lady crying. And he's like, what am I paying you for? You're supposed to be trans. I don't speak Russian. She's like, you don't? He said, no. She said, well, that's funny. Right about halfway through your service and your sermon, you said in perfect Russian, shut up and sit down. I'll take it from here. And then she said, you started to preach in perfect Russian about how Jesus loves the Russian people and about how Jesus died for the nation of Russia and that Jesus loves them no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter how they got to where they got. And he started to preach imperfectly in their language and they all heard it and came and received Jesus. That, my friends, is what revival looks like. And it's not pretty, and it's not comfortable. If I came up and stood up here and preached in other tongues to you, y'all would be like, we're out. Thank you, but no. Amen. And in the church, I understand, it doesn't profit, you know, it doesn't make sense. But here's the thing. When revival happens, it often breaks and busts out of our paradigm. It often breaks out of our little box that we like to put God in. I like, I like God to just be neat and tidy in my little box. The problem is when we get so into our little box, the, the meth addict out there doesn't actually get to taste Jesus. And the Bible says that we're to taste and see that the Lord is good. The heroin addict out there, the prostitute that does not want to live the way that she lives, doesn't want, is totally bound and, 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 and I'm all for benevolence, and I'm all for us doing the things that we need to do to help in natural ways to meet those needs. But if it's not paired with the gospel, listen, it's the gospel is the only thing that can turn and change the heart of humanity. 
And when revival comes, when it sweeps into a community, it's messy because all of a sudden our box starts splitting because we, we, we get hungry and we start praying. We say, God, we want more of you. We're committed, Lord. We're going to go all after you. We want to see you move in our community. And all of a sudden, God starts to move and we go, oh, that's uncomfortable. That's different than what I thought it was going to look like. That doesn't fit in my little box. But you know what? The box starts to disappear. And guess who starts showing up? All the people that needed the message the whole time. All the ones that were just outside of our little narrow field of view because I just go to work and go to the same grocery store and the same coffee shop and talk to the same five people and come home and watch the same stupid Netflix and eat the same meal and I just get up tomorrow and do the whole thing again. While all this is happening, people are dying out there. And so when revival comes and when it happens, it doesn't fit neatly. It, it doesn't look pretty. And it requires something of us. Let me tell you another cool story. You got time for another story? Thank you, Claire. That's my kid. Yes. She says, yes. And Jonathan Shuttlesworth is one of the evangelists that I like and listen to. And he had been praying, asking the Lord. He said, you know, he says, I travel 50 weeks out of the year and preach at churches all over the place. And he said, even if I, in preaching at these churches, this is what he's talking to the Lord, telling the Lord. He said, Lord, even if I preach in these churches, he says, you know, let's say that every time I stood up, we had 100 new, new believers at the altar every single time. What if I had great success at every single church? He said, at the end of the year, he said, I did the math. I'm still only touching, I'm still only seeing anywhere from 10,000, 12,000 to 15,000 new believers every year. And he says, Lord, that's not good enough for me. I need more than that. I want to see more people come to Jesus. That's limited. So he said, Father, if there's a way that you could give me some kind of greater platform to reach people, Lord, if I've been proven faithful to you, that's what I'm asking you for. You said, ask me for the nations as an inheritance. Psalms chapter 2, verse 8. He said, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So Lord, if, if you've counted me faithful, I want to reach more people. Would you help me? Would you create some kind of platform for me to do this? The next day, Somebody comes to his to the meeting that he's in, an older pastor, and says, um, "We the 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 opportunity's been opened for you to do a crusade style open open air service in the city of Philadelphia." Now, if you know anything about the city of Philadelphia, it's a rough place. It's one of the, the there are certain neighborhoods in the city of Philadelphia, one of the most na dangerous neighborhoods in the country. You're talking about a heavy immigrant population, people who don't speak English. They're the Latin kings and other gangs have massive influence in certain neighborhoods of the, of the city of Philadelphia. If you go into Philadelphia, you better know you heard from God. You better, you know, know that you're doing the right thing. So here's the, here's the cool thing. Jonathan says, well, yeah, Lord, that was fast. I asked you for an opportunity to reach more people, and uh, it came the very next day. So he gets this opportunity to meet with um, a leader in the local government. And he goes in. It was somebody on city council, some, someone that was very influential. And he goes in for a meeting. And it turns out that the lady that he's meeting with is a Muslim. And he's like, well, we tried, Lord. You know, he figures this ain't going to work, right? And he goes in and he sits down with this lady 
And she, he said, she speaks to me for about 45 minutes about the drug problems that they're trying to figure out how to fix, about the prostitution, about the failure in the educational system, about the gang violence that they have going on in their streets. And, and she, you know, she's sharing with him fervently because she has a real care for her city. And she says, we're trying so many different things. We're trying these different programs. We're trying to figure this out. And she says, we can't seem to get to the bottom of it. And he said, out of his heart, the Holy Spirit spoke. And it was one of those moments where he's speaking and he's, he doesn't even have time to stop himself. You understand? Just poured out of him. He said, that's because nothing that the government can do can actually change people's hearts. And she looked at him and she said, you know what? You're exactly right. He said, they need their hearts to be changed. She said, you're right. And he said, lady, that's my business. That's what I do. I believe God changes people's hearts. And he started to preach to her across the desk. And when he got done, he said, she said, you can come and set up your crusade and preach as long as you want, have as many days. We'll give you the field. We'll give you everything you need. We will give it to you. You come. If you're going to help our city, if you're not blowing smoke and you're going to be real and help our city, you come and do whatever you want. We'll give it to you. We'll fund you. We'll give you what you need. And he said, can I pray for you before he get ready to leave? She said, yeah. And so he says he closed his eyes and he had his hands open like this on the desk, and he starts praying, and he said, while I'm praying, I feel a hand slip in between my hands, and he got to pray for that lady, and he went on to do a crusade, 14,000 new dedications for the Lord in one neighborhood in one city. Jesus is serious about two things. He's serious about his return, and he's serious about revival. He's serious about souls. He's serious about miracles. He's serious about lives turning around. And it requires something of us. I got 24 seconds left on my timer. Let's see, if we, let's, 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 let's see what kind of miracle can happen now. <laughs> Listen, if, we're, if we are going to see these kinds of God-inspired revival moments and manifestations of the presence of the Lord. How many of you, last night, it's just the tip of the iceberg. So many people got ministered to here. It was super fun. We prayed for a truckload of folks and had awesome prophecy and prophetic words. Folks left so encouraged. Several people left with tangible miracles. Danny, how's your back feeling this morning? He says it's feeling good. I didn't say, I didn't make him say that. This wasn't a, you know, I slip you $10 before the service. Just to, you know. No, none of that. No, see, people got healed in the presence of the Lord. The presence of God was so rich. Guys, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's like not even the tip of the iceberg. It's like the tip of the tip of the iceberg. That's just the very top. We're just barely scratching the surface of what God wants to do in Watauga County and really in the mountain counties around here. There is so much hurt that we, are, that we drive past every day. And it's up to, it's up to us to turn that around because we actually have the answer. Amen. So how do we do this? Get ready to close. In the last couple minutes, how do we do this? Let's look at chapter five. How, how, do, you, how do you keep revival going? 
Not in a way that I'm not suggesting that we're manipulating God to try to keep him engaged. God is so engaged with the hurts of humanity. How do we, let me put it to you this way, how do we get out of the way enough perpetually that God can keep doing the things he wants to do so that it doesn't just happen once and then never happen again? Does that make sense? I don't want to make it sound like we're manufacturing revival because it's not what we do. We can't. Fact check. I can't heal anybody. Right? Can't do it. It's not fairy dust and magic sprinkles. It's Jesus at work in his body, right? So, 1 Thessalonians 5, let's read this. How do we posture ourselves to steward revival really well? Verse 14, actually verse 13, actually verse 12, sorry, verse 12. (laughs) You can tell I don't have a structured, planned sermon this morning. We're just... Flying by the seat of her pants. Uh, Verse 11 says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. Start right there. Start right there. How's the body of Christ supposed to treat the rest of the body of Christ? Comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. You want to keep revival going in our church and in our community? Let's comfort one another and edify one another. Let's not backbite. Let's not not gossip. Let's not talk down to one another. Let's build up a culture around the presence of God that says what, what we are witnessing is too precious for us to let it slip. Yeah, so-and-so ticked me off, but you know what? The presence of God in our church is so beautiful that I don't want my offense against this person to influence what God is doing in our community. It has to be that God's purpose is more precious to me than my own comfort, than my own offense, than my own feelings. Feelings. How many of you got feelings this morning? Yeah, we all got feelings, and they're good, and God gave you feelings, and he gave you emotions, and I'm not preaching against emotion by any mean, but hey, at some point, isn't it, wouldn't it be okay if our emotions just took a back seat to the plan of God for our lives? Thank you, Lord. Therefore, comfort each other. Let's stay in unity together. Let's not forsake one another Comfort one another and edify one another just as you're also doing. And verse 12, we urge you, brethren, recognize those who labor among you. You know, these volunteers, you know, these chairs, they didn't set themselves up this morning. Amen. They were actually set up last night. Praise God. It was so nice to come in here and not have to set up this morning. But, you know, these backdrops and stuff, they don't, you know, unhook themselves and, you know, get, walk themselves back to the trailer. People do that. Your kids right now are with people. My wife is one of them. And that, you know, that takes a toll on folks. People that volunteer, we love you, man. When you serve, it's, it's a beautiful thing. This Bible says that, we, Paul says, we urge you to recognize those who labor among you. There's people that are greeting you on the way in when you come in. Recognize those folks. They got up earlier than you did today, and they got here earlier to to make sure that you had a good experience when you came through church. So recognize them. I know this sounds kind of funny and maybe trivial. This is how you actually keep revival going in a community. 
Recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. God is teaching us. He's given us a recipe. He's giving us a system to sustain his presence in our churches and in our communities. Now we exhort you, oh, excuse me, be at peace among yourselves, he said. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. How do we keep revival going? We comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Uphold the weak. When you see somebody weak, It's your job to lift them up. Listen, can I say something? Everybody look up here for a second. Can I say say this? When you see a need, don't assume somebody else is going to fix it. That's good preaching right there. There's, There's actually a statistic. There's been some studies done about this. Did you know statistically, if your car breaks down in a less populated area, you're more likely to get help than if you break down in a densely populated area. If you were to break down on 421 at midnight, way out in Deep Gap, somebody that sees you on the side of the road is far more likely to stop and help you than if you broke down on King Street at 3 in the afternoon. Why? Because when it's densely populated, everybody drives past thinking that the guy behind them is going to be the one that stops. Because there's lots of people. Oh, well, somebody will help them out. Can I tell you that that's not the way that we are supposed to live as Christians? Don't be, you all know the story of the Good Samaritan. Don't be the one to, you know, step over the homeless guy and say, okay, well, somebody else will help him. Come on, y'all. When you see a need, when you see the weak, uphold them, strengthen them. Assume it's your job. Assume that God puts you in that place at that moment to do that thing. Amen. Because listen, if God doesn't want you to be that person, he'll let you know. God will tell you. The Holy Spirit on the inside will say, hey, no, that's not the one you're called to minister to. And if that happens, which it almost never happens, okay, it almost never happens that way. But if it does, be obedient, okay? But when it doesn't, which it almost always will not happen, Don't assume it's the next guy's job to to meet the need that's in front of you. Uphold the weak, he said. Be patient with all. Ouch. Ouch. Patience? What is that? Sounds like a... Anyways. What is that? Patience. The the word... Y'all got a minute? Okay. Yeah, it's only 1130. Um... I'm, I'm getting ready to close, I promise. You know what the word for patience is in the original language in the Greek? It's the word macrothumeia. Macrothumeia. The word macro means long, like macaroni. Long, spaghetti, long. The word thumeia is the word that we get thermal or thermos or heat from. So what the word patience means is to burn and, be, and have heat for a long time. In other words, you could say it this way. Have a very long fuse. 
you know, there's some heat at the end of that thing, but, but make sure the fuse is really long. When your husband, when your wife, when your kids, when your neighbor, when, you're, when you're the person you sit next to in church, when they start to irritate you, have a really long fuse. One of the things I marvel about the ministry of Jesus is how patient he was with the people around him. It was amazing to me. He, he, he showed disdain for two groups of people. The ones, number one was the religious leaders. He always let them dudes have it because they knew better. The second group was the disciples, because they were with him all the time, so they knew better too. Guess who he was always incredibly patient with? The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, the people who were coming to him for healing, everybody that needed something from him. He was infinitely patient with them. Amen. Always pursue, oh, excuse me, verse 15. See that no one renders evil to evil. Or excuse me, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. In other words, don't live with a get-back mentality. Oh, well, so-and-so hurt me. I'm going to stick it back to them as soon as I get the opportunity. Ten years ago, they said something to me that I didn't like. And guess what? I'm just waiting for that moment. I hope that moment passes you by. Amen? Amen. And don't act like you don't think that way. Don't sit here and look so pious and sanctimonious like you know listen we all got those kinds of thoughts you me everybody I've had friends that have hurt me over the years I'm not going to try to hurt them back even though my flesh wants to what does that profit what is that going to accomplish just hurt more people okay a great idea Josh Mm. (laughs) amen see that no one renders evil for evil but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Notice that before he gets to anything quote-unquote spiritual, he starts with practical relationship stuff. Because the practical relational elements of church, if they're done poorly, will always derail the spiritual stuff. He gets ready to start talking about rejoice in the Lord, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecy. We want to preach real hard on that one. Don't quench the spirit, brother. Don't despise the moving of God's spirit and the prophetic unction and the anointing and all the flashy spiritual stuff. Well, if you, if you snub your neighbor in the parking lot on the way into the Holy Ghost service, neither of you are going to get anything good out of the presence of the Lord. Right? It's amazing to me that he puts all the relational stuff up front because that's what we got to get a hold of. If I can walk in peace with you and you with me, then we can prophesy and that prophecy will actually have some weight to it. Rejoice always, verse 16, we're almost done. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Boy, don't both of those go hand in hand. How often should I rejoice? Always. But I'm having a bad week? Always. But my boss is a jerk? Always. But my wife frustrated me. My husband frustrated me? Always. We're just not seeing eye to eye. My kids are going haywire? Always. Rejoice in the Lord? Always. The psalmist said, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. Stir the joy up on the inside of you at every opportunity that you have. Pray without ceasing. 
That, my friends, is an attitude and a lifestyle that is committed to prayer. I used to think that Paul meant, when he was, said pray without ceasing, that he meant like 24-7. I'm like, Lord, what about when I'm in the bathroom? <laughs> you know, like, what about, when, what about when I'm trying to sleep? Should I pray then? I'm not going to be able to sleep. It's, Lord, that seems like a very impractical idea to pray without ceasing. And then I recognized that what God meant there, what, what Paul meant when he wrote that, what God was trying to communicate, is that there is a way to have a lifestyle of prayer. Because what I realized is that through times in my life, I would go through seasons where I prayed a lot and then seasons where I didn't seem to pray at all. Amen? Anybody else besides me experience that kind of thing? You go through seasons of life where you're, man, I'm just intense. I'm, just, I'm getting everything God has for me. I'm engaged. I'm on fire for God. And then I would go through seasons where my fire cooled off. What God is speaking to us here is don't let prayer be a seasonal thing. Come on, that's good news. That's good preaching. Yes, yes, thank you, Pastor Josh. Yes, amen, hallelujah. No, that's, that's the real deal. Don't let prayer be just a seasonal thing. Let it become a lifestyle. Do we want to see revival happen? Let it become a lifestyle. In all things, in everything, give thanks. In everything. Oh boy, the wheels are falling off. Everything seems to be breaking down in my life. Things are happening that are negative. I'm frustrated. I'm concerned. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? It starts with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Do not quench the spirit. That means, the word quench means to throw a wet blanket. If you look at it in the Greek, it's, it's a funny word in the Greek, but it, it literally, it means like don't throw a wet blanket on the spirit of God. When God's moving in your life, don't smother that. Don't smother his voice. Amen. Don't despise. The word despise means to think little of. Don't despise or think little of prophecies. A lot of people got prophetic words spoken to them last night. God was moving prophetically. It was super cool. I was saying stuff to people last night, and I'm going, what in the world just came out of your mouth? Right? Y'all remember when the Rotans were over, standing over here, and we talked about the, ro uh, what did I say, the tra something train? The passenger train was coming into Roten Station. That's right. I'm like, what the heck does that mean? That doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. And it turns out it was totally meant something to them, and it, was a, it was, had to do with something God had already been speaking to them about. Like, whoa! Don't think little of that. Don't despise that. Don't treat it casually. That's what the Scripture's saying. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. A lot of people love to test all things and miss the second half of that scripture. Amen? This is, this is, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Can I have three more minutes? Literally, three more minutes. I'm almost there. We read a scripture like that. It says, test all things and hold fast to what is good. Most people just read the first few words, test all things. And they get a spirit of test on them. And they just start becoming critical and cynical about everything. And they totally miss all the good stuff goes right by them. 
because it just becomes cynical and just pick things apart. Man, I don't like his doctrine. I don't like the way he preaches. I don't like that worship. Oh, their kids' ministry is terrible. I don't. Blah, 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 blah. Don't become one of those because you can't sustain revival in that environment of cynicism. Yeah. Oh, this is this is like the uh, the exit music at the Grammys. <laughs> it's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Test. Da, 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 da. I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not. <laughs> I just want to thank my agent and all the people that believed in me. No, that, that's, that's perfect. Thank you, guys. Oh, Test all things and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Here's what happens. Are you ready? This is what happens. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back soon, and when he comes back, I want you and I want me to have been preserved blameless at the moment that he comes back. Amen? How do we do it? We just talked about that for a half hour. If you didn't get it, go back and listen to it again on the podcast. Amen. Let's stand up to our feet this morning. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.